This morning, we have our lead pastor, Wayne Hollett, sharing with us. And there's a Bible reading from the book of Matthew that I'll be reading to you guys, starting in Matthew 4, 18, and, and then we'll jump over to Matthew 7. Matthew 4, 18. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too, Come. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or those oppressed by demons or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Matthew seven twenty-eight and 29. When Jesus had finished teaching them, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you very much, Daniel. Great to see you all. I want us to begin this, this part of the celebration with a declaration from Lamentations chapter 3. We did this a couple of Sundays ago. There are people struggling in difficulty. It's good to just stand up and declare the word of the Lord together. So let's stand together. The words will come up on the screen. So this is uh, Jeremiah's lament after the Babylonian military invasion and decimation of Israel. So speak speak this for yourself. Speak it as a declaration. You ready? Those, the two of you that are ready to join me, and the rest of you catch up. We're going to do this twice. We're going to do it with gusto and enthusiasm. Are you ready? The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. 
I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Amen. Please be seated. It's a great way to start your day. If you are thinking, what should I do when I wake up in the morning? How should I begin my day? That'd be, this is a great way to begin your day. You could print this out. You could have it by, on, beside your bed even. You could roll over. You could pick up the piece of card. I, I would have it printed. I wouldn't use a smart device or a dumb device. I would use no device other than something printed so that I don't get distracted. Often I find you might be the same. You think of something and you open your device and then you go down some rabbit trail and then 10 minutes, 15 minutes later you're like, I opened this for a reason. What was, the original, what was my original plan, you know? So having it printed on a card and just speaking it out and declaring the, the truth of what the scriptures say, notice that thing, notice the phrase, God's faithfulness and his mercies begin afresh each day. So at the start of the day, you go, God, thank you, this is a new day. Thank you that your mercy is new for me today. And you, could, you could even pretend that God delivered it to you at, and it's at your front door and you could get up and go to your front door and open your front door and pick up the imaginary blessing. It's there, but you could do that. Some people like to do tactile things, right? Some people, that's really helpful. Some of you are thinking, Wayne, you've lost it. But, but for some people, and I've actually done this, there are times when I've needed to physically remind myself there's a, new, there's a gift of new mercy from grace, from God's grace for me in the morning. And so go to the front door, open the front door, bend down, pick it up and say, thank you, God, for the new gift of mercy to me today and the declaration that you are my inheritance, therefore I will hope in you. So, okay, I want to spend a few moments uh, with, the, with the topic of immersed. And uh, so that next slide can come up there. And um, so... Now, the word um, the word baptize is pretty familiar to us. If you got any, if you know your way around the Bible, you'll see that the word occurs in many different places. Um, but that word that we read is translated from manuscripts that are written in Greek, and perhaps you don't read Greek, and neither do I. Uh, it was a time where I learnt it, but. The Greek word for baptize is baptize, baptizo. It's actually the Greek word baptizo. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? That's because we didn't translate it. Our modern English Bibles don't translate it. If they were to translate it, they would actually use the word immerse. So John the Baptist would be called John the Immerser. People would be immersed in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, anyway, so just to say, so I'm going to use the word immerse because that's actually a, a translation of the Greek word baptizo, and it creates a better understanding of what what this act of baptism is about. It's about being immersed, and it's a bit immersed in water. As that picture of I've been immersed into the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've gone under the water, dead. I've been immersed into his death. 
And I've been raised to new life. I've been raised up in resurrection life just as Jesus was. Now, we don't immerse babies here because we, we believe in believers' immersion. So we think it's important for you to believe. And even you can do that at a young age, as was demonstrated here this morning. But we don't immerse babies but if ever we change our mind, this is how I'd like to do it. So, and I think, I, I would love to do that with great enthusiasm and gusto. So, and I'm pretty sure he's going in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with that. So, um, one of the things that we've learned from church history, historians tell us that from about the second century AD or common era, everyone being immersed in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit was asked this question and perhaps you were asked it as well. It's something I want to introduce into new life but we haven't as yet but perhaps you were baptised somewhere else and you were asked this question. The question that they were asked from the earliest times was, do you renounce the devil and all his works? the vain pomp and glory of the world and all the sinful lusts of the flesh. Let me say that again. The question that was asked, do you renounce the devil and all his works, the vain pomp and glory of the world and all sinful lusts of the flesh? And the person preparing to be immersed would say yes. And in fact, I want you to have to think about why. Why, why would they be asked this question? Just have a think to yourself. And if you're not sure what, maybe the word renounce is something, is a not a word you would use in your vocabulary. You could renounce the use of TikTok. It means to refuse, to reject or abandon. So why are they asked this question? Let's have a think about that. Being immersed is a dividing line in a person's life. Immersion separates our former life and loyalties and, our, and now we have entered into a new life in Christ. It's like a divide. It's a divide. And our new life and your new allegiance is to Christ only. Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to the Christian community in Rome, he said this. It's in the middle of um, chapter 6. It's a long argument or conversation that he's having with them and he's laying out of certain things. And he says to them, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3, Or have you forgotten that you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, in immersion? We joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism or by immersion, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. So this picture of... I, have, I am renouncing something because I'm entering something new and different. I'm now being joined with Christ through immersion. I'm being joined with his death for I have died and I've been buried with Christ through this immersion. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now I will also live a new life. It's a wonderful picture. Now, in, in some of the early traditions, and let me, 
let's just remember for a moment the context of the early church in the second century. It was based in the Middle East. Christianity, in case you didn't realize it, is a Middle Eastern religion, if you want to use that term. So these, this is happening all around the Middle East, the Mediterranean Ocean and North Africa. And immersion um, baths, if you like to call them that, or immersion pools had steps. And so in some of the ways that immersion was done, the person who was being immersed would descend three steps into the pool and at the first step stating their rejection of the world and the next their rejection of the flesh and their third the rejection of the devil and then they would affirm their new faith and commitment and allegiance to Christ Jesus as the Lord of heaven and earth, the one and only one that had been crucified on their behalf, resurrected and is victorious and the one who's coming to reign. Isn't that a great practice? Wonderful picture using those three steps, going down and then being immersed in the water and coming up out of that. It's a beautiful picture. So, and uh, I'm not sure if we get some steps cut into the beach at South Beach, but it's a kind of a similar thing as people go out deeper into the ocean to be immersed. It's renouncing all these things saying, I'm leaving this behind. I'm leaving behind any allegiance I have to any other God. That's the renouncing of the devil. I'm leaving behind a commitment to, to vain glorification, to self-glorification. And I'm leaving behind the sinful lusts of my flesh. All of those things I'm, I'm done now. I'm done with those. I'm done with satisfying and living, satisfying myself, pleasing myself. And I now live to please the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's being declared there. Well, this month of December and January, we are going to do a summer series where we're going to explore Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a great, great sermon. He gave it on a hillside, it's a beautiful hillside. Overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And some of us have been around that spot earlier this year. If you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Now, remember, Matthew spent three years of his adult life with Jesus. And he wrote a biography, and we call it the Gospel of Matthew, about Jesus. And he wrote those words that were read to us earlier, Jesus travelled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Everywhere Jesus goes, he announces the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. These are common phrases in Matthew, Mark and Luke and John in the biographies of Jesus' life. Kingdom of heaven is a phrase that occurs 32 times in Matthew's biography alone. It's really important that we understand what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven. 
that we don't pollute it with our own idea. We need, we need to have Jesus' idea. Also in Matthew, Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God five times. And Matthew, sorry, Mark, Luke and John, in their biographies of Jesus, they use the phrase kingdom of God 48 times. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're the same thing. And they're a big deal to Jesus. So it's so important that we actually have a right understanding of what did Jesus mean by that. Because they're central to his message. They're the first things that come out of his mouth. It's the word repentance or return because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. It's a declaration on, the, on his lips from the very beginning. Now before Jesus spoke that Sermon on the Mount, he was immersed in the Jordan River by John the Immerser. Some of you are familiar with that story. You know that. Let me read the dialogue that Matthew records, chapter 3. John speaks to him and says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it because John knew who he was. And he said, Jesus, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? I'm the one who needs to be immersed by you. But Jesus said, we need to do this because we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to immerse him. After his immersion, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. It's a great thing, isn't it? The immersion of Jesus. A voice from heaven. A dove descends. And the voice says, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. What an affirmation. I just want to make a little segue comment here to say, one of the things that someone encouraged me to do many years ago was to ask God to speak affirmation into my life. His affirmation. That I would know it's from him. And I just want to encourage you this morning. To do that. To, to find a spot just to be sit and be still before God and say, God, would you speak your affirmation into my life? And God knows you need it. We can all use more encouragement and more affirmation. We're all very aware of our shortcomings, particularly our lack of love. Our lack of love for God and our lack of love for people. So to say, Father, would you speak your word of affirmation into my life? Because when he does that, it changes things.
And it's not a once it's not a once off opportunity, if you know what I mean. It's like, oh I did that once, you know, so I'm good now. I find affirmation leaks out of me. It leaks away. I need to be I need to regularly go and say, Father, I need to hear your voice affirming me. So I encourage you to do the same. So Jesus comes up out of the water and there this the Spirit of God descends on him and the Father says, this is my Son whom I love with and in whom I am well pleased. Now, you may not realize it, that that phrase is a combination of actually two Old Testament scriptures about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the first is from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 7 affirms that uh, you are my son who will rule the nations. That's what Psalm 2.7 says. You are my son who will rule the nations. And in the second part of that, the phrase at Jesus' baptism comes from Isaiah 42 verse 1, which speaks of the Lord's delight in his chosen one, the suffering servant who was going to bring justice to the nations. If you've never studied Isaiah 42 and how God plans to bring justice to the nations, I encourage you to do so. His chosen one. And so the father is saying to Jesus at his baptism, you're the one I've chosen. You will be the one who will rule the nations and you will be the one who, who brings justice to the nations. So there's a destiny statement there. And this next slide captures the essence of these three facts that God speaks at Jesus' baptism. The facts are these, that Jesus was declared to be the beloved chosen son of God, the unique son of God. He's told that in front of him lies the way of suffering, but that his ultimate position will be as God's victorious king. Some key words there, isn't there? Beloved or loved. The way of suffering, victory. I suggest to you that this is what lies before every disciple of Jesus today around the world and from the first disciples. That we are loved by God that we can expect to walk the way of suffering, but the way of suffering leads ultimately to victorious, glorious, eternal future. So we are not discouraged by the suffering, although it takes its toll on us, because we keep our eyes fixed, just as Jesus kept his eyes fixed on on what's coming for him, Hebrews 12 talks about this, that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so it's so important that in the midst of trials and difficulties that we have going on in our lives, that we keep fixed on these realities, we stay anchored in this reality, I'm actually a loved child of God. This is part of what Paul talks about in Romans 8, doesn't he? Those of you familiar with the end of Romans 8, Can anything separate you from the love of God? Can anything separate you from the love of God? And he has a big long list, doesn't he? Lists off all these things. And he says, no. And then he concludes, 
In all these things, we are more than overcomers or more than conquerors. So again, it's this reminder. We are the loved children of God, but we will walk a path of suffering, but it will lead to glory. It leads to victory, just as it did for Jesus and will do even more. So these realities. So when we enter into this Sermon on the Mount series, which we will do properly next week, and there's going to be a number of speakers I've recruited a range of people to speak from within New Life Church. I've carved up the uh, sermon into chunks. They've been given a chunk to bring a 20-minute message and uh, pray for them. I'm not going to tell you who they are. They, They can identify themselves to you if they want to do that. You'll find out soon enough when they start popping up in the Sundays that come. But here I want to just finish this morning with here's the interpretive key. For understanding what Jesus is talking about when he references the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And it's found in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7 is a chapter worth investing in and familiarizing yourself. Because it basically, I'll I'll summarize it this way. There's going to be four beastly human empires that will rise and fall. But they'll ultimately be defeated although they will cause great pain and devastation on the earth, they'll be defeated by the coming king of glory. So verse 13, Daniel 7, in his vision, he said, I saw someone like a son of man. And again, if you're familiar with Jesus, he uses this description. He speaks of himself consistently as the son of man. And he's referencing Daniel 7. He's basically saying to people, I'm the guy Daniel saw in his vision. It's a huge claim. I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Let me just pause there. In the Bible, there's only one being that rides clouds, and that is God. So here, right off, people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's, they don't understand the Bible. Because Jesus said, I'm the Daniel 7, 13 person, I am the, the man, the human, coming with the clouds of heaven. I'm riding the clouds as God does. And it says, Daniel's vision, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal, it will never end, his kingdom will never be destroyed. So when we come to these phrases of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we need to have in mind what we need to hear is the echo of Daniel 7, 13 to 14, that this is a kingdom that will have authorities honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world and people of every race and nation and language will obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It's awesome. I love it. Love it. So good to be in a relationship. So people this morning have been immersed into that kingdom with that king. It's a great picture. If you've been immersed into Christ, that is you. You're in that kingdom that is eternal, that will never be destroyed. It's, a, it's so <laughs> encouraging. Okay. All right. 
Here is a challenge for you. Are you ready? It's not going to come up on the screen. I want to just in, I want to challenge you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Those three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Read it every, every week in December and January. Just read it once a week. If you read half a chapter, you'll get, read half a chapter a day, you'll get through all three chapters in six days. You could actually read it in one sitting. That'd be good. But half a chapter every day, Monday to Saturday, and you can have Sundays off. But in your household, I want to encourage you, if you've got, if you've got other human beings you live with who are willing to engage in this process, no matter what age they are, you can read this together in your household and you can begin a conversation about it. And when you come on Sunday, whatever bit we're up to, you'll be, you'll be ready, you'll be ahead of the game in a sense. Your, your children will be like primed, ready to go. See, so easy to do, but you will reap such a great reward. Many people talk about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as the constitution of his kingdom, the way relationships function, the way we relate to God and the way we relate to one another. So that's my challenge for you, everybody, and I, please t- take it up. And you would need to begin that when? Yep, today or tomorrow, because we're already in December, in case you, you hadn't caught up with that news. So I want to invite you to stand as we close. And there's some words of a prayer that's going to come up on the screen, which is a prayer of response. And some of you here today, you may never have prayed a prayer like this before, which is a prayer of actually surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord. So I want to encourage you to do that today. If that's the step that you're ready to take, if you're ready to commit your life and surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. And the rest of us are going to pray it along. We have prayed it before, but we will pray it with you to encourage you. So let's, the words will come up on the screen behind me. The worship team will face the screen and pray it along with us. God, thank you for your mercy and kindness to me, despite my hatred, indifference and apathy towards you. Today I accept your gracious invitation into your new covenant where everything in heaven and on earth is under the authority of Jesus Christ. I trust only in his better blood for the forgiveness I need and the cleansing of my life so that I can worship you. God, I bow my knees and surrender full control of my life to King Jesus. I commit to learn to know, love and obey him. Connect me to someone in this church who will help me learn your will and ways. God, I have family and friends who need to know about your better blood. Help me open my mouth to share it and open their hearts to trust your better blood. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. So Nathan and the team are going to lead us in a song. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I just say... Um, please come and get me afterwards. I'll be down the front here immediately afterwards and then wandering around outside during the sausage sizzle thing. Love to have a conversation with you and help you on that journey of growing in understanding what it means to follow Jesus. Thanks, Nathan.